It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hey, did you just inhale really loudly? Oh, maybe. There? I've got a bit of a cold. Oh, Terrible mic skills. Sorry about that. Me too. I've got, I've got a cough cough. I've, you know the bit in um, The Offspring, Pretty Fly for a White Guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm fairly certain I used to be able to do that. Do it, try it now. <laughs> do you want me to give you the right key? I, 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 I used to be able to do it. Mm. I just can't make that noise anymore. And Ready? I think that, we'll try again. Right. Give it to me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? It's, it's like it the, used to be, the it, death rattle of like some kind of animal. I can't tell whether I've got like a chest, like I had a bit of a chest infection, which I seem to have every bloody summer nowadays. Um, What's but, the reason um, for that, do you think? Lack of moral fibre? Lack of moral fibre. Probably the MSG on the Chinese. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, keep on, it just keeps on happening then, guys. But for an asthmatic, it's problematic. Um, but yeah, I, I, I used to, because your voice naturally gets deeper uh, as you get older, which I'm, I'm loving, to be honest, because, you know, voiceover work and all that but yeah. um but yeah i just can't i just can't shift the idea that something's gone wrong somewhere do the luke and pete do a luke and pete show voiceover voice luke and pete does the job they're in a cave come and see them does, what are they up to does the job <laughs> um andy <laughs> brassel always says that andy brassel of football does ramble daily job. of football ramble daily says um that whenever andy you go to brassel. particularly go to france or portugal yeah They've got such a deep voice that mm. you almost have to remind yourself when you speak in their language to go an octave <laughs> lower because you just sound like David Beckham otherwise. <laughs> and if you listen to his in- to interview with Paolo Sosa, mm. his voice is ridiculous. <laughs> it's literally like, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, from Andre Villas Boas was the same. Yeah, um, Mourinho in it to an, to an extent. Um, so Japanese men are kind of the same. I was sort of think you sound a bit silly if you talk a bit like this. Go on, what are they? How do they sound? Oh, oh, I thought you were this. Right. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's a bit of a rumble to it, but. I remember when uh, it was uh, Goodbye at Arsene Wenger at Nagoya. He was going. He's got a deep voice as well, though. Yeah, but like he, even he sounded a bit weird. 
what's his name? Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger does. Yeah, and he was just saying goodbye. I think it, would you would you find it difficult to get on if you had a, a high pitched voice? Because some men's voices stay high, don't they? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I think my accent is quite excruciating. The best of times, so I, I think it's probably best of you. Completely agree. If you can possibly uh, be as deep as you can, I think uh, that helps a little. That's what I'm saying. If if you, you some, I mean, remember Alan Ball, who was a famous uh, <laughs> football player. His voice was always quite high. He had a very. Um, who was the guy who was the um, bloke from the FA who used to do the FA Cup? Draws? Oh yeah. Brian, I'm going to say Brian, not Brian Barwick, the one before him. Yeah. Graham, Graham Kelly? Yes. Yeah. Graham Kelly, he had a very high voice. He did. It's time for the FA Cup. Um, it's time for the FA Cup draw, sponsored by um, Rumbelow's uh, Ladbrooks. Was it Graham Kelly? Yes, he had a very high voice like this. Yeah. Um, Emlyn Hughes as well. He had an excruciatingly high voice, rest yeah. in peace. Yeah. Rest in peace, Emlyn Hughes. I think it might be a little bit more emasculating than we tend to think if you're a man who had a very high-pitched voice. Ooh. So we stand in solidarity <clears throat> with you if you are in that boat. We stand you. Um, episode 198 of the Luke and Pete Show. It is Thursday, the 29th of August. Whoa! Bank holiday week. People have had a short week. Weather's been lovely. Pulled my groin. Go on. Tell us more. So I just pulled my groin. I was going to play football today, but I'm going to cancel it, I think, because uh, I busted up my leg. I've got a real issue on my right leg mm. the top of my leg when the outside and the inside of it like right. a groin strain slash feels a bit sore at the top of the hip it's not great no. get, I think it's, I'm putting it down just getting older yeah I've started I play football probably twice a week now and I don't work very hard and I think it's probably good for me that I'm kind of active but um, yeah that, it's just a groin pull just puts you out puts you out of the game Peter um, there are crimes happening all over the UK crimes all the time crimes as we know Stabbings. We do murders. Give us an example of most three or four crimes. Um, accountancy uh, errors. <laughs> is that a crime? I think so, yes. Not if it's a genuine error. No. Ignorance is not an excuse. Ignorance is not an excuse. Give us three more. Accountancy Shoplifting. errors. Shoplifting. Shoplifting, yeah. Um, uh, giving someone a disease they didn't know you had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, drugs. <laughs> just drugs right. and and so we, we, we live with crime all around us all the time mm. and that's something we have to get used to but every so often there is a news story where I read it and it's of a crime and I think that could be Pete Donaldson okay and it's not I don't mean sex crimes you know I don't mean that I'm not being out of order double indemnity means I can't be tried for the same crime <laughs> twice well here's one that definitely could be you Pete Donaldson it's caught on CCTV there's a plea for, for you people, went a bit emotional there. For, for information. Well, you'll hear why in a minute. Because model heads of Guy Fawkes, Oliver Cromwell, and Sir Thomas More have been stolen from the front of a tourist attraction. <laughs> they were taken from the entrance of the London Bridge Experience on Saturday morning, and a man was captured on CCTV using a rope to tug the <laughs> figures down before walking away with Guy Fawkes' head under his arm. Well, hang on. Uh, the London Bridge experience is like... Uh, so, London Bridge is where the dungeons used to be, presumably. They pulled down... So, on the London Bridge experience, mm. it's kind of the ghastly ghoul mm. fest or whatever. Yeah. And on the top of the sign, there are three heads on spikes. Right, yes. And okay. um, they are um, Oliver Cromwell, uh, mm. Guy Fawkes, and Sir Thomas More. I, I don't... I mean, Sir Thomas More, apparently was a late 15th, early 16th century um, lawyer, philosopher, author, statesman, and noted Renaissance humanist. I believe he was killed by the Catholics, I'm going to say. How is he on there? 
I mean, he's not famous at all. <laughs> Oliver Cromwell, Guy Fawkes, everyone knows who they are. Yeah. No one knows who Sir Thomas More is. Anyway, all the heads have been stolen. Yes. Um, the museum or attraction, whatever it is, is calling uh, for information. They're offering £400 to help find it, mm. saying we just want our heads back. I put it to you, Pete Donson. Where were you on that night? <laughs> it, I'm, I'm looking at the pictures now. I mean, it's very funny. They managed to pull... So they managed. Oh, so you managed to take down the whole sort of shelf down from the thing with the spikes on it. Mm. So it was a messy crime. It wasn't very. They're offering four hundred pounds um, reward uh, to anyone who could help find the man. Yeah, that's what I just said. Stolen the heads. But the thing is, apparently, it took place between ten o'clock on Friday night and eight o'clock Saturday morning. Yeah, in London Bridge. Get pissed, mate. How on? But how on earth has people not seen that? Well, people probably have seen that, but you just sort of go, "Oh, it's just a piss man being weird." The doorway's also been damaged. Mm. <laughs> it's really frustrating when we've been working a uh, when we work in a twenty-hour day and some little scrot comes along and does this. <laughs> I mean, it's payment for those absolute idiots, those mm. out-of-work actors who come up to you and try and get you to go there, they, well, they're pretending not, they're, they're in Shakespeare work, or something. They? They're in work. I suppose they are technically yeah. in work, but that's not the work they envisaged, is no. it? I find those people excruciatingly annoying. More annoying than like human statues. I I think you start being annoyed by them, then you sort of realise that they're doing something that they love. Uh, they're doing the job they're employed to do, so it's not their fault. I'd rather take you the doll. Ha- you don't have to go in. Thanks to everyone who got in touch to tell me about Uber punts in Cambridge, by the way. Oh, right. You know, I complained about the punts. Yeah, okay, yeah. Apparently do Uber punts now. What, like as in you just call one and it just rocks up and you yeah, apparently. go off to um, Spain? I don't know how that works, though, because I don't, know how, I don't really see how they can do that. Why? Well, I suppose I could use their mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose it could work. Thank you. Yeah, it does work. <laughs> I just, I've mentally talked myself yeah, through yeah, it. Yeah. It does work. Yeah. Um, but Were you I'm, imagining that it doesn't work on the water for some reason? Yeah, I just thought, well, you need some kind of device and you know, <laughs> some sort of screen yeah. and you've got a punt, you've got one of those sticks in one hand and they, they need two hands to work. So it's just quite <laughs> difficult, I suppose. Um, <laughs> what about this, Pete, from, um, from Dave Ensor sent this in? Um, and this was particularly interesting to me because you know my wife collects sand. Right. Do you know that story? Um, I told you that story, right? We've got a sand shelf at home. Everywhere we go, we collect a little, little bit of sand, sand right? Okay, and, we yeah. marked, and we labelled them and put them in the collection. Is that regal? Well, a French couple have just been caught with 90 pounds of Sardinian sand. That's too much. In their car. <laughs> 40 kilos of Sardinian sand, which apparently mm. is, con- is considered public goods. So right, it's okay, strictly yeah. forbidden to remove it. It's essentially the theft of... Of, of stuff, yeah. Are they sort of stealing it and put it in like a sand pit at home because they want their kid to enjoy Sardinian sand? <laughs> well, they they kind of said that they were taking it home as a souvenir. Anything bigger than uh, you do not take a, a forty mo- kilo souvenir <laughs> of anything. <laughs> imagine, if that was, imagine if that was cocaine. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's a souvenir I'm- from Colombia. <laughs> Bolivia. You see, um, in Mexico, a judge has ruled that two men are allowed to take cocaine, um, like medicinally or recreationally, as long as he, they don't do it with anybody else, as long as they don't sell it. Uh, he's got all these stipulations. Basically, these, these guys have been given carte blanche as a, as a kind of solution to the, uh, obviously, massive drug problems they have over there. Um, they, they've been said that they could, uh, a judge has ruled that they can, these two guys can take coke, cocaine, um, yeah. without fear mm. of prosecution. It's called a landmark ruling, isn't it? Mm. They've called it that because, um, because, yeah, well, obviously for the reasons you said, but, but, that's really interesting because I'm not suggesting to be a social p- political expert, but clearly in that country, it's so difficult with the amount of violence. It's one of the most dangerous countries in the world. The mm. cartels run the place. All the politicians are in the pocket of the cartels. 
it would be quite a f- and obviously you can't really do this because I suppose you're essentially playing with the lives of potentially millions of people but as a thought experiment it's interesting to think what would happen if you just undercut their trade by just making it all free and all and all legal mm. so every single seizure they yeah. have they just make it all free give it to whoever wants it <laughs> completely undercut and the value of it I suppose it wouldn't matter because a lot of it's for export anyway I guess yeah exactly. I, don't, I don't think the um, vast but, proportion is that is consumed in Mexico but, but is, yeah. that, is, that the thin, is that the thin end of the wedge though Letting... I don't know it's worked for Portugal right? but has it actually worked for Portugal yeah it has massively there's, there's been no increase no decrease of uh, well there's been decrease in crim- criminal activity uh, but there's been no increase in uh, in use I believe no but I think it, but I think yeah, but there's, there's a bit of a misconception about Portugal. So the status of the drugs are illegal, but you, but I think it's kind of like a decriminalised thing. It's not like you can't just go and buy them from somewhere. No, you um, if you you're allowed two grams to, for your own use. Effectively, you can't sell it, but you can uh, have two grams. So I remember looking about this, but looking about it before for, for maybe this, maybe even this show like a year ago or mm. something. It's, it's to do they, they they I think they declassified. The crime from a criminal crime to like a, a civil one or mm. something. Yeah, so you, you just get you just get your hand slapped and you go go for a little meeting with somebody. But even if you're a dealer, not if you're a drug dealer, surely. No, it, it as I said, if you get caught with more than two grams of anything, uh, you get in big big bother. But um, if if it's two grand grams for your own use, uh, you don't get in trouble. But it it just means that you the, the prisons aren't you know, clogged up with people who... It's like in America, the, you know, the, the, the for-profit prisons are just filled with uh, young black men who, who you know, fucking smoked a bit of weed or had a bit of weed on them when, he, when they got fucking stopped and searched. I would... Uh, he, yeah, the, uh, the, the, um, the, the privatisation of the prison system should be illegal anyway. I mean, cause, I mean, it's a massive and gross conflict of interest. Mate, they, they, don't, wanna, they, don't, wanna, they don't want to uh, release people from prison because they are very adequate, uh, basically slave yes. birds in sunny. I think it's a huge percentage of like electronic goods and washing mm. machines and that kind of stuff are made by people in prisons, mm. aren't they? For free, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, anyways, don't steal sand, guys. If you go to Sardinia, don't steal sand. They're very sensitive about it. I was watching a little, a little mini documentary about it and uh, the firefighters Oh, it, it, actually, it was probably like John, uh, what do you call it, uh, last week tonight. It was like uh, the firefighters. Um, a lot of the California wildfires were fought by um, prison um, mandated um, firefighters. So right. they're in prison. They can make a bit of money, a little bit more money than what you'd usually get in prison as a as a as a worker anywhere. Um, but once you get out, you've got all these skills at fighting wildfires and being an yeah. important member of society. But um, as the statutes. Um, or as they are now, you can't join the fire service if you've got any kind of right. criminal. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so you're like, basically, oh, a re- you, could, you could potentially be a really skillful, good, yeah. experienced firefighter, yeah. but you can never work. Yep. That's that's what fascinates me. I don't want to get too heavy about it, but that's what kind of fascinates me about, I won't speak at length about the US because I don't know it that well, but in the UK, it seems to be a massive amount of like people going to prison is because it satisfies a certain profile of person in this country <clears throat> to see people, other people suffer, basically. Mm. So what I mean by that is I'm not talking about a murderer or a rapist or someone who's just severely very dangerous person. Clearly, there needs to be some sort of um, uh, planning and, 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 and incarceration for those type of people. But it's like, it's, like that, it's like that speech that Obama made, I think just to, maybe just before he left office, where he said, if you go out and you steal someone's bike, or you, as you mentioned earlier, in one of your list of crimes, you make an accountancy error. Accountancy error. You owe a debt to society, and no one's arguing that. Mm. But you don't owe twenty-five years. Mm. You don't owe a, a lifetime in jail. 
you know, the, the, the gross overpopulation of prisons in the US, but also in this country as well, in terrible conditions, should shame everybody. And the reason it should shame everybody is because it costs a huge amount of money. These people are human beings, people who've committed like very low-level, non-dangerous crimes. There's actually no justification for them being in jail. They should pay their debt to society in a way that benefits everybody, rather than just essentially hammering the public coffers and making a load of Daily Mail reading dickheads feel better about themselves. It's, it's, it's summed up brilliantly in, um, in Alan Partridge, where Sonia, his Ukrainian girlfriend, tries to tell him to tell the, the Chancellor of the Exchequer that he's not paying his tax. And he turns around to her and says, Sonia, do you want to go to prison? And she says, well, you said prison was like a holiday camp. And he says, I was making the point about something else. <laughs> Did you see uh, Ross uh, Ulbricht's, uh, the bloke who made Silk Road, you know, the illegal dark web? Um, <clears throat> marketplace where you buy drugs and guns. I didn't. Um, I, didn't I didn't know who he was. I know. I've drawn, heard of the website. He's yeah. drawn a beautiful picture of himself in prison. He's never going to leave that. Um, that is he in jail? He's in jail. Uh, on never, the on the U.S. territory. On the U.S. territory. Yeah, right. He's never going to leave. Uh, he's had t- I think it's two life sentences and uh, plus forty years without parole, which again seems, if we're going to go down that route, it seems a little excessive for a man who, admittedly, set up a website where he could buy loads of guns and drugs. Yeah. But, um, his, uh, he was clearly a, a bit of an egomaniac, but um, just just um, he's drawn a beautiful picture of him in prison with his um, celly, as he calls him. You might like my celly in. Uh, if we in are, but uh, yeah. yeah, he's he's done. He's got forty years before he's eligible for parole, right? Mm. Oh no, life imprisonment plus forty years without any possibility of mm. parole. Blimey, O'Reilly! Apparently, he got twenty-eight million dollars worth of illegal money, though. That's a lot of money. Yeah, he's more of a facilitator, wasn't he? Didn't that kind of. I don't know. It's interesting. It was there was a very interesting piece um, in the newspaper about how he was caught and how it was about he could have stopped at any moment and just got you know hidden away in the, in the night. Um, how did he get caught? Then, he got caught. Um, he got caught because he was in a public library. This is like kind of like ground zero where it happened when it happened. Um, <clears throat> it was really funny. The uh, the uh, police ran over and he was using his uh, laptop. Ran over, grabbed his laptop. Um, while he was using it, um, and made sure it was like they had to keep it awake. Like, oh, they, okay, they yeah, for ages. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Imagine if you just for a second like looked away and, and just turned it off. Yeah. That's bad admin by him, isn't it? Um, he was very careful. Like as soon as you as soon as you close that lid, encryption like that, you, never, you never get all of it. Fascinating. So he so he was he was basically um, <laughs> sent sent down for that amount of time. Mm. For what was the what were the actual charges though? Oh, I don't know. Big I'm a check. Big boy crimes though. I mean, he, he set up a marketplace where thousands, millions, millions of pounds um, exchanged hands for drugs. Oh, okay. And so money laundering, and computer hacking, and conspiracy to traffic narcotics. So that's mm. that, so the, the the life imprisonment plus forty years will probably be because of the um, drug trafficking. I think. I th- no, I think they probably uh, got him under like um, yeah, because they're very very harsh on that due to like the influx I, of drugs coming into the country. I think hack. I think anything like hacking uh, is is quite um, frowned upon as well because um, look at right. how. Uh, not Bo Bergdahl. Who's that? Um, uh, that woman who transitioned. She was a whistleblower. Oh yeah, yeah, I know uh, you I mean. Can't remember yeah. her name now. Yeah, um, yeah. She uh, she is in prison for a very very long time. Or is she in exile in Russia? I forget. Ch- Chelsea, Ma- Chelsea, Chelsea Manning. Chelsea Manning. I yeah. always forget about uh, where these people are. Uh, he left the Ecuador. Uh, Julius Assange there. Yeah. Uh, left the Ecuadorian <laughs> embassy and uh, is now in police custody. Where's Chelsea Manning? Is she in Russia? Or am I thinking of someone No, that's um, Edward Snowden, isn't it? Edward Snowden's in Russia. It's hard to get on top of all these different whistleblowers. Chelsea Manning is in prison, I want to say. But that was all about hacking, wasn't it? She she got caught. 
She got. Um, She's currently in jail for her continued refusal to testify before a grand jury against Julian Assange. Oh, there we go. Okay, fine. Oh, and all he did was eat a succulent Chinese meal. All um, I wanted was a succulent Chinese. Meal. Let's have an e- Let's have a break and then we'll do some emails, PT. Okay. Martin, today I'm going to show you what I've been doing to take care of the pantry moth situation. Oh, fuck. Can't believe you've done this. Can't believe you've done this. I can't believe um, you've released a pantry moth in my pantry. This is the last place it needs to be. There was a massive moth in my house last night. Anyway. I have got some cheese in my fridge, but I turned off my fridge and freezer and I forgot that I did it. Um, is, the freeze gonna, is the cheese going to be okay? It'll be okay for a time, yeah. Mm, you know, Because yeah, f- cheese, you just used to keep in the larder, didn't you? If you eat cheese at room temperature, it's much tastier. Yeah, but can I keep it at room temperature for a long time? I reckon you can. Cheese is pretty indestructible, isn't it? I think it just goes hard. I think listeners of this show are going to find out at some point. <laughs> um, hello at LukeandPeteShow.com to get mm-hmm. in touch. You don't have to get in touch with us on such heavy issues we were, as we were talking about before the break. Mm. Um, we were on our soapboxes before the break, but we're, we're off them now. Uh, and I am going to prove that I'm off my soapbox by reading this email out from James. Who says, hi Luke and Pete, just writing this in regards to episode 195 and tea making. I'm from Nottingham, but I live in Edmonton, Canada, and my girlfriend is Canadian. Anyway, I give her parents my treasured PG tips sent to me from my mum in England, Mm. only to find that her dad made the tea on this occasion by putting the tea bag in cold water in a mug and then proceeding to microwave the thing for two minutes. Wow, that's uh, that's not nice, is it? After consulting my father-in-law, I told him that this is unacceptable and since then have changed his outlook on brew making. <laughs> As Luke said in the episode, he needs a, re- a re-education camp. Shocking scenes. Uh, keep up the good work, James. When I, when I first met my now wife, who of course is American, um, I, and I was happy to do it. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that it should be any different. How do you know she's American? It's uh, going to be a double agent like something out of 24. True. I need, what I need to do is pick apart her passport exactly. see if it's a fake um, and Pete I had to tell her she had never ever made a cup of tea before right okay and she was when I met I think she was like 25 well also like tea bags you sort of think tea bags would you tea bags are a very British thing everywhere else in the world they don't necessarily use quite so many do they tea bags are very British well in Scandinavia I'm fairly certain and some of our listeners in that part of the world could tell us tell me differently but I'm fairly certain they don't have milk in their tea so they have mm. a normal PG tips type tea with yeah, no yeah, milk yeah. in it yeah so with with uh, my wife, I had to essentially talk her through the process. It took a while for her to get it it's right. A British man, <laughs> listen, darling. It's but, a, I made a perfect cup of but tea. Pete, but Speaking Pete, of Alan Partridge and his girlfriend, it's interesting how your how your mind works. <laughs> if, if if you if you met a girl and she wasn't from this country, yeah. and you live together, mm. uh, it's all right. Relax. <laughs> it's not going to happen anytime <laughs> Yeah, where and, all my magazines go? And you said, "Look, I quite fancy a cup of tea mm. while you're in the kitchen. Do you mind making me one?" Yeah. And she said, "Peter, I have no idea how to do it. Yeah. Tell me now. Tell our listeners how you would explain to her how to make it." To be honest, I think the mic- you know the microwave thing we sort of uh, bristle at it, but would it not just get the job done? Might do. Yeah. Would it just not? I wouldn't would feel comfortable not... microwaving a tea bag in the microwave, though. Why? Because I've I've seen my granddad microwave coffee to warm it up again because it's got cold because mm. he got distracted. I've or done something. that, yeah, yeah, okay. Mm. Now I can't I can't see microwave being at all needed for. <laughs> but the thing about my wife as well is she didn't actually she didn't actually own a kettle either. Oh, they don't in America, do they? No. It's all on the hob. And she had a coffee machine, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's like yeah, it's yeah. very strange, very strange. So I I I I will show solidarity with James there and say that would be disappointing. <laughs> I would probably politely and very nicely say that this is how I kind of make it. This mm. is the best way of making it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you wouldn't say anything to anyone. You just you'd probably just drink it, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, I just, I'd, look, if she wants to make tea like that, I'll drink it and maybe it'll be a great new flavour. If not, it's the... It's, it's, you just it's grateful to spend some time in... She's got to stay in the hall. In, in the company of a real-life woman. <laughs> she puts the tea bag in the basket. Yeah. Peter, um, um, how, how, what do you think about the Milk in First Gang? You don't mind that either? I think uh, the... Again, it's a bit like UFOs for me. It's, 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 it's a bit overall. It's been overdone, the hall. Well, you got to put the milk Overwrought. in first, you fucking... Uh... What would you do? What? Do you put the milk in first? Uh, no, I wouldn't necessarily. No. It'd always be tea first. But yeah. I mean, people who put milk in first, again, just give it a big old stir with the, with the spoon. Everything comes out in the wash. What about um, cream or jam first or scone? <laughs> yeah, that, you, you're a cream first, aren't you? Yeah, because to me, the cream is like a butter substitute, right? <laughs> what just, are you? You're pushing the jam. You're just getting needless cream on your jam knife. And what if you want to get more jam out of the... What if you're doing more than one scone? Then you've got a creamy knife. But how do you put a heavy clotted cream on top of jam without squeezing it everywhere? What do you mean? You know well, what Well, you'd I mean. use a spoon and just blop it on. Blop. Give it a right. blop. Anyway, carry on. I just don't understand. Because you're just jamming the jam into a creamy... Yeah, you're just flattening the cream needlessly. I want to jam it with you. <laughs> Daniel. Daniel Williams, Dan. Uh, hi, guys. Connor's tweeting your short 196 regarding his eye surgery. Reminded me of the time uh, when I was going for my surgery following t- t- testicular cancer treatment a little over <clears throat> five years ago. Uh, very survivable, that cancer, I hear. Uh, I was in the room. Uh, well, I mean, Dan is a testament to it, I guess, because he's emailing. Um, I was in the room beforehand my gown, in my gown when the surgeon, who did a great job and I'm all fine now, proceeded to ask me which testicle was being removed. Imagine if the stress of the situation led me to say the wrong ball. Yeah. When I replied it's the left one, he then drew a fuck-off line right up my thigh uh, to the ball in question. I wonder what what would have happened if I'd have said it was the right ball. Would have given him a whole new meaning to the term. Uh, dropped a bollock. Love the show, guys. <laughs> Dan. Um, uh, do your balls sometimes um, switch over? No. Like, not completely, but no. sometimes I think that's possible, they'll go it? on top of each other. Yeah, one hand like, lower than the other. No, I mean, like, on top of each other, like... Right, hang on. Oh, God. Right. There's right and left. Wash your hands after you've done this. <laughs> I'm folding my right over on my left. Right. So my right ball is now in the left-hand side. <laughs> right. Right. But now what's happened now you've stopped doing that? <laughs> now what's oh, happened now you've stopped doing that? What? What's happened now you've stopped doing that? It's, it's popped back. Only because exactly. it's got room. Yeah, but, like, if it's a cold room, it might not have room to... Go back into the, um, the right quadrant. And I think, um, what's the name of the email? Sorry, Daniel. Dan. I think, I, I feel like, while I understand that it's better safe than sorry, and mm. you can't ask for enough information, and mm. I imagine the surgeon wants to get stuff right, they should know. <laughs> Listen, they should know. If, you if you've got spot, a consultation if you can't to that a level. Ball, if, you're, yeah. if you've got the te- if you've got the scrotum open, and I know you have to be less than invasive nowadays with your keyhole surgery and the like, um, you still gotta you still gotta know what a cancerous testicle looks like. Uh, but Dan, I'm glad it's it's all clear and you're feeling all right now. Yeah, and it's very important to get yourself checked. Of course, and we should, we should definitely it. I say combine that. it with a fold. You just, you just did that. Combine it with a um, fold. I, I think absolutely, mm. men should talk about this stuff more and be more aware of how important it is. But I feel like the surgeon should know <laughs> at this point. I can understand if it's a kidney because mm. like you, you're nothing there, right? Mm. So it would probably say in the scan and in the results and the consultation, left kidney or whatever. Maybe only says it only says it twice. So you mm. think, well, you better check. But you know, I hear stories of surgeons leaving implements inside people. And oh, stuff. I was listening to a podcast, Doctor Death, which is just a man who. Oh, I haven't talked uh, to that yet. Just has a uh, wild old time. Uh, he hasn't done any surgeries before. 
He's a bit of a fucking joker. True uh, story. He's got, yeah, true story. He's got that kind of um, ego, massive narcissistic uh, ego disorder where you think that everything you do is fucking brilliant. And also, it takes a lot of cocaine as well. Right. <laughs> Which is a perfect storm of bad doc doc. Jokes and them is because um, surgeons are called Mr. Not Doctor mm. or Mrs. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's... Do you know why that is? In this country, um, it's because of the, it's because of where surgery came from. It was seen right. as being like a real wild west of unscientific stuff. The and barber surgeons, yeah, surgeons weren't yeah. really considered to be proper doctors, so they still call themselves Mister. Bit, oh, it's a bit, bit, bit rich that now, isn't it? <laughs> bit petty, isn't it? <laughs> if I had done a load of, if I had done a load of, um, medical if I had done school, a load of medical stuff, yeah, I'd like to be called doctor. I think I'm right. That's um, what I've earned. But they should know, and they shouldn't be leaving implements. Don't leave inside sponges people. inside people. Definitely not sponges. Mm. Um, here, what about this one here from James Clark? Another James. Mm. Hi, Luke, and hi, Pete. Um, firstly, a very big thank you for the recommendation. I had a large cotton chips from Kennedy's last Friday, and it was bloody excellent and fulfilled my main criteria of not skimping on the chip portions. That's the fish and chip shop I recommended, Pete. Mm. Although, how yeah. James is doing a large cod and large chips from Kennedy's, because to put it in perspective, on, on Saturday night, we had four of us at our house and we had two small chips between us. So how he's had a whole large on his own is crazy. Maybe he's a big lad. Um, he said, anyway, you could argue that maybe when looking for a new fish and chip shop, the first place I should have tried is the award-winning one down the road. Mm. Um, absolutely right. James Clark is also the basement waterproofer. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So he just, um, he, he what, have you got any updates as to like, what he's working on? Well, what he says he here, more interesting? in terms of the basement waterproofing stuff, I don't get my hands too dirty as I tend to stay on the design side of things. But oh, I, Dr. McPlanson. Yeah. <laughs> but Mr. I feel, Surgeon. You feel, I feel you're very much falling into the trap of thinking this is much more interesting than it actually is. Doesn't sound like us. <laughs> and, and while I've been working on some large scale projects like new hospitals, universities and stadiums, most mm. recently the Tottenham Stadium, yeah. the glazed over looks of my family and friends has taught me not to go into detail as to how waterproofing is actually achieved. And I wouldn't want you to lose listeners as I ramble on about crystalline waterproof concrete additives. But since you've asked, it would be rude not to indulge a bit. Um, in this scenario, I've assumed that we are going to waterproof an existing basement mm. where a delicious, succulent Chinese restaurant <laughs> wants to increase its capacity. <laughs> Assuming the tarpaulin itself is waterproof, which I'm pretty confident it is, the problem we would have is overlapping different sheets together due to the size of the basement and the limited dimensions of the rolls. Traditionally, taped tarps wouldn't be sufficient to withstand water pressure. So in this instance, let's assume we have manufactured a roll of tarp the perfect dimensions of the basement and let's call it Luke and Pete tarp seal. <laughs> we can't mechanically fix the tarp seal to the walls as we would just be puncturing it, so we would have to oh. temporarily hold it in place with a high-strength double-sided adhesive tape we will call Luke and Pete tarp seal tape. <laughs> At this point, we have a barrier that's sufficiently been laid on the slab and installed to the walls, but if we had the sudden ingress of water through the structure, the tarp seal would just lift off the slab and walls Bulge. and sag around and be altogether useless, so we need to provide a means of permanently and uniformly loading the tarp seal. Vertically, we would put a new blockwork wall in front of the tarp seal, right. while leaving 40mm gap, which would then be filled with brick mortar. Horizontally, we could just lay a new screed down at about 80mm, which should do the job. And there you have it, a successful waterproof design, and although it would be unpractical, expensive, inaccessible, unwarrantable and non-compliant, I don't see why you can't start the ball rolling on large-scale manufacturing of a Luke and Pete tarp seal. Um, be nice for making your favourite sweatboxes. Yeah, James Clark also attached a sketch 
it actually took, it actually <laughs> took the time to attach a sketch, which I very much appreciate. I don't remember asking exactly how to do it. I, just I think remember. I did. I think oh, did I, okay. I'm very fascinated by sump pumps and things like that. How you how you waterproof a basement? The, I'm just googling uh, crystalline waterproof additives. Uh, basically, something to add uh, crystals to add to um, cement when you're mixing it to make the blocks and make the cement. Um, it kind of like it spreads out through the holes because you know, like cement's got big holes in it. Yeah. Um, it, all of this crystalline stuff kind of waterproofs it through the holes. But I thought the, the holes were the strength of the concrete, or am I being foolish? Yeah, there must be some, some something oh, in the structure. Because I find what I find interesting is it's, it, is when you see um, when you see say a brick arch, yeah, right. and it's just one brick, and it's all held together by a keystone and all this mortar. Mm. It doesn't look to me like it would it should be strong enough. Do you know what I mean? Isn't that just it's engineering one layer, 101? Just one layer. Yeah, I know, but Isn't I don't fully really understand like, it. Uh, it was the fellow who used to do this. It was the steeplejack who, in real life, might have been a little oh, less beater. nice. Yeah. Fred Dibner. Fred Dibner. Yeah, him. What would you mean? What's that got He'd to do with it? He'd tell you about that, wouldn't he? Oh, well, he would say that's just, it's just all in the, in the engineering. It's all in engineering, isn't it? Mm. And if it doesn't like it, it'll get a slap. <laughs> I'll slap the arch down. Slap the arch down. Um, all right, let's get out of it, Pete. All right, baby doll. Um, hello at Luke and Pete should I get in touch about any kind of waterproofing um, <laughs> any kind of se- stealing of sand perhaps to use to yeah. waterproof something maybe um, we'll uh, next week we'll uh, we'll review some crystal internal membrane hydrophilic uh, crystalline admixture and in the meantime don't forget to check your balls see you next time <laughs> this was a Radio Stakano production 